All right, Acts chapter 3. Father, we thank you that we can be together. We thank you for your, your incredible, lavish provision in our lives. We thank you that, um, that we have brothers and sisters in our part of a glorious inheritance around the nations of the earth, that all over the world, your people are intentionally turning to you and spending these couple of hours, this day or this time together as the body in particular, in China, in India, in Africa, in Europe, all over the world. Thank you that we are a part of that. As Tom said, that you are the head and we are the body. And I know that I know we probably can't comprehend the, the, the vastness of that awesomeness. <laughs> but thank you for that, Lord. And that on the balconies of heaven, there are those that have gone before us that are looking over, over the balconies at us, as your word says, and they're cheering us on. So, Lord, may our lives really make deep grooves in the worlds that we live in for the kingdom of heaven to come to make its dwelling among men through us. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. That's why we want all of heaven in our lives to literally squash out everything that is not of you. The hope that is rooted in your unfailing love. Amen. 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 Grandma, oh, happy day. That was the song at your baptism, right? How many years ago was that? 56 years. We sang a song that's 56 years old. Wow. Yeah, they modernized it. Acts chapter 3, let's go. Um, Does anyone know how to work the sound? Because I'm probably going to scream and I'm too loud. Someone turn me down, please. Lapel. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into. Say going into. Say it again, going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and so did John. And then Peter said to, said, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He had an expectation. He expected to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, because that was his expectation. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When I was 10 years old, I was at a Sunday Sunday school camp with our with our church back in South Africa that I grew up in. And there were lots of kids, hundreds of kids. There was this one kid, he was a bit older than us, maybe like 12. 
but he thought he was like 21. I remember this guy so vividly, like a Lego hairstyle. He was, he was a cool kid. And I remember him at the, at the mess where we all were going to line up to eat. He says, Yaku. Pulled out of his pocket. A cigarette. <laughs> I was so horrified. I went and told one of the teachers. That was the only time in my whole life that I remember being a snitch, okay? I said, Gary has a cigarette. His name was Gary. No, Gary had it. It wasn't this Gary. It was another Gary. Anyway, what happened is that night we were all in worship. There's a couple of hundred children, right? And there's a full-on worship band leading the worship. And it's beautiful. And I, I as a young boy, was very aware of the, uh, of the presence of God. And this guy that had a very significant prophetic anointing started calling children out by their names and prophesying over them. And um, he called Gary out. All I could think about was Gary walking to the front, like, you know, like, like that. All I could think about and all I could see in my mind was the cigarette in Gary's pocket. Gary had a cigarette in his pocket. Anyway, he got to the front. As he got to the front, this old guy, Yuan Van Sale, a big old guy, he took Gary with the biggest smile on his face. Just like the smile of a father, like a grandfather, like a steroid smile. And he smiled this kid into the heavens. He held Gary. And Gary was like trying to see who's watching him. He's so cool. And he just held Gary. And he said stuff over Gary, which I couldn't hear, but I'm sure it was amazing stuff. Then Gary, then Yuan, the older guy, went on his knees next to Gary. And Gary knelt next to him. Now worship's going on. Things are going on. I see Gary's lowering his head. I see his demeanor changing. This is vivid as yesterday. This is like when I was, this is 40 years ago. So Gary starts to cry, right? Gary holds his mouth. He's trying not to cry. He starts to overwhelm with the presence. And Johan von Sale is just standing smiling over Gary. He prayed for Gary. And, and he stood up and carried on to another child. The next minute, okay, now we were all there. It was like a fairly reserved environment. Nothing like this morning. This morning was pretty wild. Did you guys feel the, the ground move? It's a bit scary. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> Gary jumps to his feet. He's a 12-year-old among other 10, 11, 12-year-olds, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in those children trying to figure life out. And Gary starts jumping and jumping and jumping and running and literal snot flying as Gary is jumping and running and jumping and running. And he started screaming in Afrikaans. <laughs> I'm not going to say. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. It's real. It's real. That's all he shouted. On and on. My sins are forgiven. It's real. It's real. And everyone is a little bit awkwardly offended by this because it was amazing in an environment where the presence of God is, as long as it's controlled and everything is in E minor, it's so cool. And here we had Gary jumping and leaping and praising God because his sins were forgiven. He got more than he bargained for. This is, this is my, my heading if I ever write a commentary on Acts chapter 3. No, I'll never do that, but it would be, he got more than he bargained for, Acts chapter 3. So the thing about the beggar, the beggar in that society was an absolute outcast. The Jews had pronounced the, curse, the curses over those who were born, and he was born, he was born uh, crippled, because the Bible says that. And so for his entire life, his entire identity was shaped around the reality that he was not good enough. He was broken. He was crippled. He was caught in a cycle of brokenness. He was hopeless as a result. 
and therefore super dependent on everybody around him. And he probably sat begging in this spot for many, 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 many years. Ironically, it was in the gate called Beautiful. It was a bronze gate that was 70 feet high and it was covered with bronze. Solid bronze gates. Brass. Brass gates. Anyway, there, there this guy sat for years and years. Should we call him Gary? I just came up with it. No, no. <laughs> anyway, there this, this guy sat. If, if you... If you've ever looked at a crippled beggar on the street, growing up in Africa, there are a lot of crippled beggars, and they do sit in the same places. And, and, um, and I'm just trying to explain something to you of how the beggar thinks, because this is such a significant passage, because, not only because it's the first major miracle done by the leader, the head of the church, as Peter was appointed, and so much hinged on it that if Peter failed... Say Peter said to the guy, stand up, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you, stand up and walk, and the guy didn't. They might have said, oh my gosh, maybe James should have been the boss of the church, not Peter. He put it all out there, absolutely everything out there, all in. His reputation, his entire belief system, everything was placed on that particular moment. But this beggar had been sitting there for years and years and years and years and years. And the way that he got there, the way that they would drag the poor beggars around as they would make mats for them. In Africa, they still do this quite a lot in some of the Central African countries. And they would put the beggar on the mat. They wouldn't, I've never really seen great sympathy surrounding those who were tending with beggars. And they would just drag the beggar to where he needs to be, flip the bed, leave the bed, and leave. And there the guy would sit, and his identity was, he's a use, useless, and he, 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 he lived off the pity of others. He was no good. He was broken. Do you get it? Do you get it? He was broken. And so there was something almost, I'm pushing it right now, but I want to say this, almost bigger than his lame legs that was an issue. He was broken. And you'll see why I say that in a bit. He was from birth. He was not worthy. And what he was specifically not worthy of was to go into the temple. No cripples were allowed into the temple. No cripples were allowed into the presence. No brokenness was allowed into the presence of God, according to man's traditions. So much greater than his legs not working was the fact that he was not allowed by man to enter the presence. He could sit on the outskirts. He could sit in the beautiful spaces, the cool places, where all the people would come in and out, in and out, in and out, and there remain and sit and beg and get the pittance, the crumbs from the tables. That's what he was all about. But he could not go in. And I love that Peter and John were there on their way after Jesus, and this temple was about to fall. It was about to be destroyed. In fact, Jesus, when the disciples said, wow, look at this amazing place, he said not one stone will be left upon another. You guys remember that? So all of this man-made system that excluded some, the walls that were built, that some could come in, some couldn't go in. Some, it was a division. It was a very real division. And to this very day, 2019, we still have very clearly defined walls of division that in our thinking allow some in and others not. Allow the blood of Christ to be applied to some and not to others. There's still guys that preach that the sins of some are forgiven and not all, as the Bible repeatedly says. 
And so the awareness of our freedom and our forgiveness is still lost. Why? Because we live in the crippled, perpetual cycle of brokenness. Up here in our thinking. You guys hot? Okay, cool. So he was put there. He was, he was put there. He was helpless. I said to myself, yeah, I must say hopeless and helpless 20 times. Have I said it? 20 times? He was helpless. He was hopeless. He was put there. He had no decision to even make where to go. His family used him probably as an object of income, source of income, and he was put there by their discretion. Like the four friends who carried their mate into the presence of Jesus, dug a hole through the roof and dropped him down. And Jesus says, pick up your bed and go. The significance is you can now choose where to go. You can go. You're free. And the thinking of a beggar is amazing. If you ever engage a beggar on the street, and I encourage you to do that. It's quite cool. But don't be tacky or cheesy. But, and say, you know, if you, if you die tonight, where are you going? Don't, don't, don't do that. Just say maybe, hey, what's your name? Most beggars don't look at you. About six months ago, I was at Winners on Trafalgar Road, this very same road. I came out of the Winners. There was a lady standing on her knees at the door. Have you guys ever seen that in Canada? In my eight years, I've never seen that. I've guys coming to the window saying, hey, you got a dollar for a burger or something? But never that. She was standing on her knees. She was looking down with her arms in front of her. Now, I've seen that in Italy before and in, in England and in Europe. And some of them are part of a pious sect of, the, of, of a church, and that's what they do. They do that at the same place every day, every day. So I knelt down next to her. I said, hey, what are you doing? She said, I'm just begging, begging. So I was all weirded out. I said, wow, what's your name? She was from Eastern Europe. She told me her name. I said, why are you begging? She said, I have no money. You have no money? You got food? He says, yeah, we go to the food bank, we get food, but I have no money, we have to live. I said, are you married? She said, yes, I have a husband. He's working on a construction site. And all this time, she was looking down at the ground while she was talking to me. So I said, look, look, look at me. So I said, I said, I took 20 bucks out of my pocket and I gave her 20 bucks. I said, I'm sorry it's so tough for you. I'm sorry. Can I pray for you? I don't know what else to say because everything you try and go through your mind sounds so cheesy because I think that it's so key for us as the believers, the followers of Jesus, to try and put ourselves in the position of those that are in positions like that, of brokenness. Because that is just the stark, in-your-face reality of the spiritual condition of many, many more people than that lady that stood on her knees outside of winners. And if we live lives oblivious because we are completely unaware and we turn our faces away from everything that's awkward and weird, we ourselves will never deepen. And we will continue to go in and out of the presence of God instead of in, which is the irony of the temple. The temple's irony is that now, because of Jesus, since Jesus, everyone is in. <laughs> everyone is in. That lady is as in as I am. And so we, we are the conduits that lift their heads and change their focus and expectation like Peter and John did from money 
to Jesus. From my imminent need to the uttermost one that fulfills every need that I could ever have. And that's why some people can say, I've got no money, but I'm so rich. You know, you start reading Acts chapter 3. Like, I wanted to do the whole of Acts chapter 3. And then I started to think about this. And church, I really do believe that God is, is always, like Phil prayed this morning, there's always this call for the church to come deeper, to come closer, to become more like Jesus, to think more like Jesus, to become aware of what Jesus sees. And when Peter and John said to the guy, they looked hard at him. Some translation says they looked hard at him, which means with intention. They stared at him, they looked at him, and he was looking down. And so Peter shouted at him. Um, if you read N.T. Wright's commentaries, he said, look at me! And the guy looked up at him, like maybe tearing his eyes up. What is this guy going to give me monetary-wise? And I believe in that moment, in that moment, when we look at people, not just because we, see, we notice like people, but we look at people in their eyes, I believe because of the Spirit of Christ that lives inside us, God will allow us to see people the way that He sees people. It's amazing. I love talking to people who like to make eye contact, but that's just beside the point. Like Eros. When he gets intense, he looks at you in the eyes. Like, and I love it. I love intentionality in all form that you could possibly get it. It's when we start to live like this. So when we start to live like this, addicted, hooked to social media and our phones and our lives and, and our preoccupation with ourselves, like this, like this, like this, that we've lost the essence of, of the potency that we have as sons and daughters of God to break the cycles of brokenness in each other's lives. Okay, I've labored that to the end. So he was, uh, he, was, he was begging from those who were going into the presence. So he's begging money from those who were in the presence. You remember Gary? He was trying to get the, the affirmation of those who were going into the presence where he himself somehow felt that he was disqualified to go. It's interesting that the love of a father had the ability to melt his heart. There are many leaders in the North American church, many cool, beautiful, Instagram-worthy people that lead, that lead massive, amazing, wonderful works of God. But even Paul said it, there are few fathers. And I'm not saying that because today's Father's Day, I'm just saying it because it's the reality. But you fathers, you fathers, there's a, there's a charge on your life, a responsibility on your life. To father well. I'm still learning. I'm like 21 years into it. I'm doing great, eh, Jules? <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> so the irony. So, did I mention this guy was not worthy because he was broken? He was not worthy because he was broken. So, just stop for a minute. And, I, and I, I, maybe you think this is a bit of a kind of a, just a repetitive thing, but I really want, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do this in us. Like, we have a lot of people that come in and out of our community. Sometimes I bump into those people in the streets of Milton or in the supermarket or somewhere, and they're not a part of our community. And I ask myself, why not? Why are they not a part of our community? 
And, and I think we're amazing. I think we have an amazing people. I don't think we're hyper-spiritual. I don't think we're religious. We, we, we want the presence of God more than anything else. But even among us here this morning, there are those that feel unworthy. Even among us here this morning, some of them are downstairs, upstairs. There are those who are here because they've been put here. They didn't want to be here. They've been put here. And there are those that are so broken that they've lost all hope. There are those that are so broken that they don't have the strength to lift and walk into the presence, into the fields of grace, like we sang this morning. They don't have the strength to do that. You know what they're waiting for? For someone to say, look at me. Not look at me. Look at me. Let me see. And then, to take them by their right hand, which is great symbolism, the hand of strength, and to lift them up onto their feet. And then, to say, come with us into the presence. As if that was just like, just 40-something years of limpness. Now you can walk. Come with me into the presence. Into the presence. The presence of God changes everything. The only place where we find refreshing. The only place where we find the capacity and the ability to walk in forgiveness. I told you guys a story about the woman that we prayed for that stood up out the wheelchair. I didn't pray for her. But anyway, I'll just tell you quickly again. The lady was in a wheelchair for many years, 20 years or something. I can't exactly remember. And we had a guy pray for her in the church. She stood up out the wheelchair. She walked two or three steps. And the next Sunday, she was back in the wheelchair. Her husband was utterly crushed. He was crushed. He'd never seen his wife. He'd carried his wife for 20 years. She has a crane. She has a hoist. They have a special car, house, everything. She walked three steps, something he had not seen her do in 20 years. She walked one, two, three. She turned around, looked for a wheelchair, and she almost fell back into the wheelchair, never to stand up again. This is the enemy's strategy over the church, to make you look back, to make you want to go back instead of forward. And when Paul says, forget what lies behind, because if you do not forget what lies behind, you will live in the past, and simultaneously destroy the future. It really, don't mean this to be, sound insensitive, but it really, in, in the context of life, the cross, eternal promise, the kingdom coming to earth, does not really matter what happened to you in your past. It matters to you and to God, and He's very, he's very aware of that, your brokenness, and He wants to heal and bring life. But as long as you look back and want to go back, that will remain your identity. And your identity as a son, which brings you into the, into the future, into the promises of God, will never be realized. Because all you know is what you want to go back to. Amen? So don't go back. So the healing was huge because this man couldn't walk to come in. And he wasn't worthy. Yeah, there we go. Um, yes. So Peter and John redirected his expectation from money to Jesus. Um, we can all do that. As we look at people and as they look at us, we can see into their lives and we can tweak their expectations from what they think is the most important thing right there to meet their immediate need onto the Savior. It's a work of the Spirit. If everything is easy and predictable, we don't really need the Holy Spirit, right? So interestingly, they looked hard at the man, as I've said already, so I'm going to jump over. So the spiritual lame people that I've said... Um, and Jesus wants us to see the way that he sees them. Um, 
Yes. And today, today or whenever might be your day to lift someone to their feet that feel unworthy to enter the presence. Don't be sin-focused or conscious. Be life-conscious. Okay? Only the name of Jesus can take the crippled, worthless beggar from outside all the walls into the presence. All are worthy because of Jesus. 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 In the name of Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus. That's why we sang it this morning. Jesus. In the name of is a big deal. Like if you go to a place and you say, um, like say you go to a place where you're the boss and you just, you're not the boss, but you, your best friend's the boss. Like say if I go to raise production plants and I arrive at the production plant, I'm saying, hey, I want to see, I'd like to look at some garage doors. The guys will say, no, 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 no. You've got to go to a supply of their showrooms. And then I'll just say, hey, Ray told me to come. They'll be like, oh, Ray, okay. You want a sandwich or coffee? What would you like? Sit down there on the leather sofa. I'll call Ray for you. Hi, Ray. What's your name? Yaku's here to see you. Oh, show him in. And access into because of the name of Ray. <laughs> Ray's just like sliding down under the seat. <laughs> there is no other name by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus. There's no superficial spirituality. There's none of that. Like, let's think, let's say cool things that sound spiritual. I can't, I can't tell you how many people say to me, yeah, I'm spiritual. Yeah, every human being on the planet is spiritual. But at the name of Jesus, access is granted. At the name of Jesus, the door is opened. I wanted to say about the nightclubs, because I, but I don't want to encourage that whole vibe. But if you end up at a nightclub, and you took the bouncer, there's a queue of 400 people or whatever the case is. Like last night we went to a club and we just got to the door. We're so full. I said to the bouncer, hey, Tony said I can come in. He's like, oh, Tony, okay, come on in. Same thing. I'm joking. I don't go. I don't do clubs. <laughs> but Jesus, and that's the thing. So, so my, in conclusion, we all carry within us that rich deposit that Paul speaks of. The eternal hope of glory. The ability to tear down the walls of division, of hostility to bring reconciliation between man and the Father. This story is all that that is about. Because that temple was going to fall. Those rules are gone and destroyed. Yet, in the spiritual realm, the exact same scenario happened. We have people that come, even to Red Hill, for years and years and years and sit in the same seat. <laughs> but they're broken. They're broken. And only when you and I look into each other's eyes, where we see what Jesus says, sees and be able to say what Jesus does and, to, and be able to bring others with us into the presence. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Amen.